Good morning, Misfits. You are tuning in to episode six of the Misfit Project. I am your host, Drew Crandall. As always, across from the table is Ted. Ted, we probably shouldn't be sitting right now. No, probably not. We just we were just going over what this podcast was about and what some of the studies in our notes look like. And you guys are gonna find out why we shouldn't be sitting so much and uh, we are currently sitting. So maybe maybe in the new studio we'll have a setup where we can stand and do the podcast. Maybe. A nice a nice standing desk. Yeah. I for me personally it's like I feel more comfortable talking and sitting for some reason. I don't really know what it is. There's something about sitting down that makes you feel more or makes me feel more comfortable. But if we're gonna if we're gonna talk to talk. Yeah, don't talk about it, be about it, right? That's right. So we are five weeks into this journey, and this week we are gonna be talking about movement. And there's a very big reason why this is called movement and not fitness or exercise or whatever. But before we get into that, it's important that we address how far we've come so far. Um, In terms of the actual interaction on social media, it's been so exciting to get the messages and the app mentions and the hashtag use and people, you know, sending us DMs of them going outside and doing all this different stuff that, you know, that we've talked about on the podcast. So from that perspective, that's extremely exciting for us. And that, you know, is fuel for us to keep going and to keep, you know, creating podcasts and, you know, articles and blog posts and all these different things. So, um, to those of you who have done that already, we really appreciate it. Keep doing it. And if you guys are seeing, you know, some benefits out of this stuff, it would be awesome. You know, if you could do the same thing, it just, you know, really helps motivate us on our side. Um, so quick recap, we have now made it through tribes, sleep, peace of mind. You know, we went over um, you know, the really big topic of, of food and fuel last week. And that, through the story that we've been telling so far, has set us up now to be hormonally optimized to start talking about movement and exercise, to put us in the right frame of mind, to give our bodies the fuel that we need to go there. And, you know, once again, you know, we're probably going to do this every week, but that recap of we spend time with people that we enjoy, those feel good hormones start to take over. We go outside, set our circadian rhythm so that we give ourselves an opportunity to sleep better, have a great night's sleep. We wake up the next morning and we have, you know, the, the motivation to start digging into that peace of mind. Um, then we can start talking about diet because that's really that piece. You know, we talked about it all last week. That's really that piece that's so challenging for so many people. And we, you know, intuitively put the diet piece before the movement piece because, um, you know, we see it on a fairly regular basis at our gym. You have someone who's as fit and, you know, ready to rock as Max Bragg. And we see what happens to him when his diet goes to crap and he jumps on the assault bike and does some sprints. Yeah. He used to puke every day. Yes. Every day. Right. He'd eat a Subway sandwich or stop by McDonald's on his way into the gym, Domino's, puke yeah. every day. And he's at this super high level of fitness and he is still not immune to the fact that we need to properly fuel our bodies before we head in to do that movement. So with that all you know, being around, we have to jump back into the narrative, unfortunately, of 
what the heck happened to us. Um, we talked last week about the obesity epidemic, the diabetes epidemic. Now we are going to talk about some of the same diabetic risk factors from the CDC who is claiming that 40.8% of adults are physically inactive. What does that mean? That is less than 10 hours of moderate activity a week. 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I just said 10 hours. 10 hours would be. 10 hours would be impressive. Good for you. It'd be way better. Good for you. Less than 10 minutes. 40.8% of adults are moving around for less than 10 minutes a week in the United States of America. I mean, that's like a mic drop moment right there. Yeah. That is, and, and, you know, we've said it before that the, the CDC, um, doesn't really, I don't think doesn't really have the motivation to like pump up these stats. So, you know, we did talk a little bit about how the, you know, the body mass index thing is kind of BS, but if they're, if they're going through and they know the statistical significance of what they're doing, their statistician knows, you know, that this is whatever 96% accurate based on standard deviation and all these different things. And they're coming back with anything in the neighborhood of 40% of people moving around during moderate activity for less than 10 minutes a week. Whoa, that is, I feel like I'm just going to sit here for the next hour and repeat that statistic over and over. Lucky for you guys, I won't do that, but now what, um, what defines moderate activity? Is that like going for a walk? Is that es- moderate? Essentially what they're saying is outside of you maybe walking around a little bit at work or getting up during leisure time or walking out to your car, what el- where else is this physical activity coming from? Okay. And it's less than 10 minutes per week on average. And that's, you know, for 40% of people. And that's, you know, one of those things where we've been reading headlines now for a few years, um, sitting is the new smoking, sitting causes heart disease. Um, and we know that these things are true through studies, through, through correlation um, amongst a, a, a huge sample size. But for a really long time, they were like, how? Like, where are we gonna find this? How are we gonna find out how sitting causes heart disease? Because you would think that doing absolutely nothing wouldn't be able to manifest something within your body that would cause heart disease. Turns out there is an enzyme in our body that breaks down fat so it can use it as energy called lipoprotein lipase. And we'll just call it LPL for the rest of the podcast. So LPL essentially is breaking down fat so that we can use it as energy. And when it's not working, fat is stored stored body fat, adipose tissue is a strong correlation to heart disease. Um, we can tell that through the people in our lives that tell us that they have heart disease. They're typically not, you know, the, the model of, of, you know, physical shape and whatnot. 90 to 95% of LPL is lost. 90 to 95% is lost without muscle contraction. So our body creates this enzyme almost completely through muscle contraction. We move around, we do, you know, and in, in this, what's, what's really important about this is I'm not saying that 90 to 95% of LPL is lost without weightlifting. It's muscle contraction and muscle contraction is just using your muscles, doing anything really. Yeah. So what's, what's, you know, another piece of this that doctors were always like, okay, so when we 
tell people, eat this diet, that's not so great. Do not exercise. We are going to try and study you and find out where these risk factors are coming from. Like what, how, how are we supposed to find this out? And, you know, over the course of six years, they were like, we can't find these metabolic factors. There isn't some magical thing that's causing John and Jim to lose completely different amounts of weight doing essentially the same thing. We can't figure it out. Only when they were able to develop motion tracking underwear, essentially they gave them like compression shorts that could tell if they were moving at all. Huh. That's when they found how simple this is. The people that lost more weight or didn't gain weight or were at better you know, risk factors and whatnot for, for all-cause mortality just moved around a little bit more. So they would go into these office settings and there would be people that would sit for two hours longer in their day, spend time sitting for two hours longer in a single day than another person. And that other person, all they were doing is walking to the next cubicle and talking to someone, walking down to the water cooler, bending over to tie their shoes, doing these tiny little things. You know, maybe they go get their lunch or they go outside or they leave, they do whatever. And again, these people were not allowed to exercise. And they found that through these graphs that these people that were, were much healthier were just moving around a little bit more for two hours a day as opposed to the person who just plopped down in their chair and that was it. So that 80-20 rule. Exactly. 20% of the work will gain you 80% of the yield. Right. So, so they, you know. I think that's right. We're searching and, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're searching and searching and trying to find this, you know, I think it's probably sexier for a researcher to find this, you know, amazing metabolic factor, something complicated and confusing to say, you know, I discovered this. They discovered that people who weigh less, that don't eat a very good diet, are just moving around a little bit more. They move more. And it's not exercise. They're not, again, they're not allowed to exercise. And one of the things that they found is that your calorie burning rate plunges to one calorie per minute burned versus three if you're walking around. So if you're sitting, you're at one calorie per minute. One calorie per minute. You triple that by moving at all. Literally just moving around. Just small movements. Oh, I feel like I want to stand up now. Yeah. <laughs> we are burning. Well, you know what? Um, you guys can't see this, but I'm like throwing. I'm so excited right now. I'm like th- throwing my hands all around. Yeah, Drew, up my Drew talks cup. with his hands a lot. Absolutely. So maybe I'm at like one and a half, but I'm certainly not at three. And, you know, it's it's incredible because you know reading through this through this study and and one of the one of the um the journalists that went to see these doctors he's they gave him his seismograph that showed you know his calorie expenditure throughout the day and he would have these huge jumps and he's like i didn't do anything i didn't do any exercise and they were like well we were monitoring you this jump right here is when you tied your shoes and this was when you walked over and did this and this is when you got excitable about whatever so it's 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 kind of funny that when I set out to, to gather all of this information, you would assume that my specialty would be movement. I've owned two gyms for going on 10 years. 
Um, I train some of the, the fittest people on earth. And when I started digging into this and finding out when we back it down to everyday society that I probably knew the least about this stuff compared to all of the other stuff that we've talked about already. And that's because I was not aware of the fact that, you know, these, you know, the, the, the barrier to entry, we talk about the barrier to entry with any of the thing that we're going to ask you to do in the misfit project is low. We're not asking you to spend a bunch of money and do all these things. How low is the barrier to entry for moving around a little bit? Standing up. Yeah. I think it's free. Yeah. Standing up, <laughs> walking, you know, maybe having a standing desk, doing all these different things. It's like, it's pretty incredible how far we've fallen to get to this place. And, you know, it's, it's tough because so much of this stuff in here, we go back and forth on, um, scare people essentially through the first 20 minutes of each podcast to listen to the rest of the podcast to find out, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking right now, American cancer society tracked the health of 123,000 Americans between 1992 and 2006. And the men in the study who spent six hours or more per day sitting had an overall death rate 20% higher than the men who sat for three hours or less. That's 20% death rate. The death rate, you know, give me a 1% death rate and I'm in, yeah. you know, increase, decrease. And unfortunately, in the same study, the women that sat for six hours a day, the, like, the likelihood of death was 40% higher. And there's, there's, there's actually another, there's actually another study on this women's side before I bring the positive note in physically inactive middle-aged women. Now this is intense engaging in less than one hour of exercise per week. So pretty low barrier to entry again, experienced a 52% increase in all cause mortality and a doubling of cardiovascular, cardiovascular related mortality. 29% increase in cancer-related mortality versus physically active women. Now, these studies do show a correlation between women having um, you know, a little bit more of an issue with what happens when they sit too much. But I've said this before, and I will say it again, I find women to be much more resilient than men when it comes to this stuff. My, my personal history with working with people and trying to get them to improve stuff, there's something about the, the connection that women make with this. And I don't know if it's like a maternal instinct thing or what it is, where it comes from in evolutionary biology, but I do find there to be this, you know, agreeability and resilience factor that's there. So I would say that if, if I'm doing health coaching and I'm working with someone and they're at a higher risk, but they're more resilient and more open to suggestions and whatnot, then I think we're on the right path anyways. Yeah. So don't listen to this and think, oh, I'm screwed. This isn't fair, whatever it is. I, I really believe that, you know, <laughs> I'm looking at the next thing that I'm about to say. And, um, but I really believe that, that this is all something that we can, you know, attack, counteract all that. The likelihood of depressive symptoms in women who sat for seven hours a day and did no physical activity was triple that of women who sat for four hours a day. I'm just going down this list here and 
what's what's really important is I know that so many people listening to this podcast are going to be thinking more about someone else in their life than they are about themselves. Because at the beginning here, we are drawing from a pool an audience of physically active people for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I would say, say so. nine out of ten people listening to this podcast right now as it's being released, you know, for the first day are probably thinking about somebody else in their life. And that's, that is a big change. You know, three hours a day is a big change. But if we look at it from the other, from the other perspective and we say, you know, we need to make sure that when we are awake, we are not sedentary for more than four hours. I don't think that's too, too bad. Especially when we know that we're tripling, you know, in the opposite direction, we're reversing the three times greater increase of depression. And we've talked in previous episodes about how that depression piece is such a negative feedback loop when it plays into your sleep and then it plays into your stress. And then your body's like, no, I'm, I'm not eating the diet that you want me to eat. It's not going to happen. I'm going to hit you with cravings that you can't handle. And then if we've made it that far, we can understand how 40% of people would be that physically inactive. They don't have the neurochemicals. They don't have these reward systems. They're not there currently. So for anybody that's, that's trying to help somebody else make a change in their life, I would say the biggest thing would be, you know, as we, as we move on in this podcast, we'll talk about it, but, you know, schedule a walk with them a few times a week, try to build some momentum, try to help them build some momentum because you know, personally, all of the changes that you've made in your lives and you know, how that momentum is so important. So, um, you know, it's, it's talked about in, you know, in the, in the blog post that we wrote for, for, uh, the fuel episode where we talk about like, you can't always just force all this information on people cause it doesn't work that well. So, um, instead of, you know, maybe, you know, telling someone, Hey, you know, you're going to be depressed. You're going to die. You're going to this or that. Um, or even telling them to listen to the podcast, maybe get them moving a little bit first, try to help them create that momentum so that we can, you know, kind of go in the right direction. Now on to more talking about depression. Now on to more <laughs> de- depression, like statistics, 14 young fit and thin volunteers recorded a 40% reduction in insulin's ability to uptake glucose after 20, only 24 hours of being sedentary. So we talked in the fuel episode about how we want to work with insulin sensitivity. We want to save our carbohydrates towards the end of the day. And in a perfect world, we're going to exercise, you know, in that afternoon range and then take those carbs in at night. Well, 24 hours of being sedentary isn't a crazy thing to think about in our society. No, it's a Sunday. Exactly. Sit on the couch all Sunday. Sit on the couch all Sunday. There's a chance that if you are being sedentary, there's more opportunity to not eat the greatest food. So our insulin sensitivity is already going to be taking a hit. And then that following day, we got a 40% reduction in our body's ability to take that glucose and put it into muscle cells and not into our fat tissue. So it's really important that if we're going to take that kind of day, if we're going to take that day where we're like, okay, I'm going to be nice and relaxed, that we still go through our morning routine where we're getting that sunshine and maybe we're, you know, like taking the dogs for a walk or we're, you know, going on a walk ourselves or, you know, getting a little bit something in in the morning um, 
will actually probably convince you to continue to stay active. That'll set you up for the rest of the It'll day. It'll set you up for the rest of the day. But even that break is obviously super important because of that 24 hour period, um, 40% reduction is, is pretty significant. Yeah. Now the, the piece here that I would say probably would have been the correct segue into me not knowing what the heck I'm talking about, a f- you know, a few years ago with movement in general is that we can't counteract the sitting through activity outside of the sitting period of time. And the analogy that I liked was you cannot counteract a pack a day smoking habit by going for a jog. People can, can relate to that. If yeah. you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and you're like, you know what? It's just screwing up my lungs. Why don't I go out there and beat my lungs up a little bit and, you know, yeah. have them recover and I'll be fine. Right. Yeah. That going, doesn't make going for a jog is not going to save your life. No, no. that's not going to help you. So that's the, the analogy that we're looking at is your eight hour a day sitting habit cannot be counteracted by going for a jog or by intense exercise for 20 minutes, whatever it is. And I think that's really important for people because there, there have been studies that have shown that someone that has an active job versus someone who trains for a marathon, the, the heart um, the heart disease risk is actually higher for the person that's, that's does the marathon training because it's potentially they're sitting all day exactly. and then they get out of work, they go to and the gym for an hour and then they're exactly. And they're yeah. actually finding that correlation with a lot of people that put a lot of mental energy, not necessarily time, but a lot of mental energy and focus into being active for a short period of time. They're finding that correlation with a lot of them like to kind of plop down before and after. So, we are saying that the the habit of sitting too much is only counteracted by a new habit of not sitting as much. And I think that's really important because you would have a lot of people that are out there that are thinking to themselves, I've created a, you know, at a basic level, I've created a calorie deficit. I, you know, I like the way that I look. I like the way that I feel. And that's a very short-term outlook we need to make sure that if we know all of this stuff about what happens when we're sedentary, that as we get older and as that intense exercise becomes more and more difficult, that we aren't increasing our risk for heart disease. Um, because the science right now is saying that that's just something that we can't counteract. That's something that we have to attack by not sitting as much. So, now we are on to just a few small statistics and stories that will allow us to say, okay, um, being physically fit, being active, moving around, you know, we can flip these studies upside down and say, okay, this is, this is the type of thing that happens on the positive note from being active. In one study, people who went from unfit to fit over a five-year period had a 44% reduction in the risk of death compared to people who remained unfit. Now, almost all of these studies are based on low to moderate intensity exercise, which I think is important for people to understand. Like this isn't, this isn't like someone went from unfit to fit 
in terms of like, you know, the open to the CrossFit games or something like that. We're not, we're not talking about that world of fitness. We're talking about, um, someone who struggled to go outside and walk for a little while that can now go for a jog, that kind of thing. We are not living in that world of comparing ourselves to professional athletes. We're living in the world of comparing ourselves to what human beings were like only just a few hundred years ago. This, this next one I actually found to be really cool um, because it sort of gives you like, if you do this, this much exercise or this much movement, then this happens. And if you do a little more than this happens, you do a little more than that, this happens. So I found that an increase in energy expenditure from physical activity of just a thousand calories per week was associated with a mortality benefit of about 20%. So we're increasing, and we talked about earlier, we're, we're burning three calories per minute tying our shoes. Right. And we're talking about a thousand calories a week. That's, that's not a ton. That's not a you, ton. If you break it down by day. Exactly. Energy expenditure of 1,600 has been found to be effective in halting the progression of coronary heart disease. And it's important for me that some of this stuff that I bring up also brings into consideration someone who already has heart disease or already has diabetes who are, or already has, you know, maybe, you know, a higher risk for, for cancer or something like that. So we can make these changes and actually reverse some of the stuff that's going on. And that's one of the things that, you know, in another episode, we'll get into epigenetics. They're finding that we can reverse what's going on. There was always that thought of this is the way I am. This sucks, but it is what it is. I have this and I'm going to die sooner than someone that doesn't. They're finding that we can alter that stuff throughout our life. And there is a ton of science to back it. Now we take that jump from the 1600 calories. Now we're up at 2200 calories. Still not a crazy number. No, this is 2200 calories per week shown to be associated with plaque reduction in patients with heart disease. So the 1600, okay, we're, we're halting the progression. And then the 2200, we're actually reducing, we're getting to that plaque reduction. And these, both of these things are super attainable just by starting with a walking program. Like that's, that's all we're looking for. Yeah. And we, we, you know, we talk all, we talk a lot about heart disease. We talk a lot about diabetes, 150 minutes of low intensity exercise per week outperformed metformin, which is the, the drug most commonly taken to, to counteract, to deal with symptoms of type two diabetes. That's like 20 minutes a day. That's 20 minutes of low intensity exercise a day. You have diabetes. You take this medication to help you live your life. You could go walk. You walk, you leave your house, you walk for 10 minutes, you turn around and you walk back. You do that every day. Or you walk for 15 minutes, walk back, and you give yourself a rest day, whatever it is. Right. I don't necessarily believe that a rest day is necessary when we're talking about low-intensity exercise. Nope. We just talked about what happens to our insulin sensitivity after, after 24 hours of, of being sedentary. We're talking about a drug that's part of a multi-billion dollar industry that has probably hundreds of million dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars of research going into it. And we can do better than that by walking for 20 minutes a day. We can do that. We can do better than that by moving around low intensity exercise for 20 minutes a day. 
cold therapy and sunshine are outperforming SSRIs. We're trying to create some sort of like pattern here where we're saying we can take control of what's going on here. Now, by no means am I telling people to stop taking certain medications or to not see their doctor. But what if when you went to the doctor, you did this stuff and he could tell you that you no longer need these medications? That would be something that you would think someone would want to take onto themselves so that they don't have to live this way. And one of the things that, that some of the listeners so far have been saying is they've been pulling at the heartstrings of some of their elders by talking about, you know, don't you really want to be able to play with your grandchildren? Don't you want to be able to do all this stuff when you get older? You know, we've all had people in our family with dementia and, you know, the, this late life disability and it is sad for us, but it's also terrifying to envision yourself and that's, you know, going out that way, Yeah, you know, it's supposed to be the golden years. You're supposed to be doing whatever the heck you want. You're not going to be doing a whole lot if you can't remember what's going on day to day and you're at risk for all of these other disabilities. The, the, the one that for me was really important is we talked about that 90 to 95% decrease in lipoprotein lipase, the enzyme that's breaking down the fat. Um, this was in animal models. It's always important to, to let people know that if a study is in animal models that they haven't replicated the study yet in human beings, but they had a fourfold increase in LPL from the animals just walking on a treadmill. So we're talking, we're going back to, to low intensity exercise and we're multiplying an enzyme that breaks down stored body fat, puts it into energy and multiplying it by four by walking on a treadmill. And if we know through human models that 90 to 95% is being halted when there's no muscle contraction, then we can draw some sort of conclusion that says that this would probably work in human models as well. Um, so we've talked a lot about this, this concept of, of what I call consistency of movement, where we need to make sure through any means possible, Apple watch notification, uh, calendar, um, you know, talking to your friend and saying, you know, on Tuesdays, you're going to make sure at work that we get up and do this. And on Wednesdays, I'll make sure. And then it'll just sort of become a habit. There is that next step is jumping into resistance training. Um, musculoskeletal health greatly reduces the risk of late life, late life disability. There are articles by world-renowned researchers that are essentially saying one of the greatest causes of death in older people is being weak. We all know the story of I fell, I broke my hip, yep. got pneumonia, yep. you know, all of these, you know, this, this stuff took over my body. And then all of a sudden, you know, your grandmother or grandfather or whoever that you were just talking with two weeks ago is on their deathbed because all of that whole support system that's holding us up is starting to deteriorate. The weight-bearing exercise, now it's important to note that if someone's listening to this and they're like, I can barely do an air squat or I can barely do this or that, your body weight gives you a weight-bearing exercise. So we can start there and we can start somewhere as simple as you're on your couch, you stand up, you sit down, you stand up, you sit down. And the goal would be to stand up and sit down a few more times each time you do it. Yep. And maybe to use your hands a little bit less to prop you up. 
and then we move on to the air squat. And then we talk about maybe going out and buying a really light dumbbell and holding onto it while we squat. These don't need to be super intense things when we start. We just need to create that. Now, we talked about the musculoskeletal health. Obviously, when I do a weight-bearing exercise, muscle tissue breaks down, and then when it grows back, it grows back a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. That's how that works. But weightlifting is also the number one thing that you can do for bone density. And bone density is sort of, you know, that base layer, you could call it of, you know, when someone falls, yes, we could prevent falling um, through having stronger muscles and we could protect our bones through having stronger and bigger muscles. But when we fall, you know, the, the issue with breaking the bone, a lot of it has to do with bone density right. and the absolute positive number one thing that you can do for bone density. And this just intuitively makes sense. If you load your muscles and your bones, they will, you know, it's, if you don't use it, you lose it. It's right. that kind of yeah. thing. So that makes sense there. Now, really important to understand that, that some of these studies are done on women ages 75 to 85 bone density was on a serious decline with a lot of the patients that they used resistance training, bone density goes up. So we're not, we're not getting to this point in life and saying, I can't do this. This isn't going to make any change. I can't make this happen. It's possible at any time to change your circumstances. If you have the right information, right? If an age group of 75 to 85 can increase their bone density and your early thirties, it's not too late. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can trace that back anywhere. And again, we can start anywhere. You know, you're loading, it's a weight bearing exercise to go for a walk. You're loading your lower half with your own body weight. So we don't have to think about this as, oh, okay, thanks a lot. I need to, you know, join a powerlifting gym and start back squatting. (laughs) Like we won't discourage that. No, no, but it's not necessary. We will eventually get to that part of the story, um, with the misfit project, but these first, Six weeks are about these low barrier to entry things that can completely reshape our lives and dare I say, reshape the lives of everyone, you know, that's out there that's struggling with all this stuff. Yep. One story now, now I will give the caveat. This was on social media. And as we know, everything that you see on the internet is real, <laughs> but there was a story. I of think Abraham Lincoln said that Abraham Lincoln, that is a direct quote. Now, I watched a, what looked to be like credible YouTube video done on a little old lady who had that thoracic spine arch where essentially you'd be looking straight down at the ground if you were walking around. Yeah. We've all seen people like that walking around. So you get halfway up the back and essentially we go turtle shell and it's so bad that when our thoracic spine turns into our cervical spine, we're literally, it's, it's parallel with the ground, our neck. We're staring down at the ground. So this lady was set up in New York city with a yoga teacher and they just went through standard yoga poses. Um, if I remember correctly, it was yin yoga. Uh, we're huge fans of, of Ramwad. They do the yin yoga. This is something that you can do in your house. This is something that you can do with a very affordable, I know we talk low barrier to entry, a very affordable um, subscription and they have stuff on there. If you're not able to get into the positions, great. But this little old lady went from this position in six months to standing up straight and tall through yoga. And wow. that that's one of those things where for me, 
I've seen so many incredible transformations inside of the gym and through activities that it's hard to impress me with these stories. And this absolutely blew me away. I mean, there was no chance that this lady was faking the position that she was in. There's no way a 90, whatever she was, 80, 90 year old woman could stand up straight and stare at the ground and off tip over if that wasn't her actual position. And then there would be no way to fake the other side of her standing tall and being in this position. So I just, I bring up these stories just to say that if you are trying to make these changes for people and they don't believe that it's possible, um, show them these studies, show them the videos, you know, try to try to, you know, we always talk about like, where's your in, how do you find out, um, you know, how to, how to help a certain person. Um, if you care about them, it's worth the time to find a way to get yourself in and, you know, helping because I know a lot of people in my life that are either dealing with these issues or have, are not inviting me over for coffee and asking me for advice, right? Like they're not going to start there. So I have to find some way I have to find some in, I have to hear them, you know, talk about a topic or say, you know, ah, oh, my hip hurts or one of these things to find a way to, to get in. And if it's still really bad, then we have to go to the studies where 75 to 85 year old ladies can increase bone density just by sitting up and standing down. And a woman who, essentially was staring down at the floor for what would have been the rest of her life and and probably worse. She probably would have been, you know, bedridden or, you know, couch ridden, you know, was able to change that. And that sort of concludes the, you know, the story of, of what's happening, the story of, of what we can do about it. Um, what's important for me is that this is a starting point and that we talk about where we can go from here. Um, what I'm not going to do in this podcast is give out like um, like training template ideas or anything like that. That'll be something that the the Misfit Project will do eventually. I'd love to have you know misfitproject.com be a place where literally anyone could go and read the daily workout ideas and have some way to do this. All the way from we got to sit up off the couch and go for a walk to, you know, back squat is the Holy grail of, of strength <laughs> movements. Right. Yep. I want that. That is a goal of mine to be able to go there. But I think that it's important to have a starting point instead of jumping in and just saying, you need to do this on this day and you need to do that on that day. I think it's such a big topic and it's so important that it needs to be broken down that way. And, and, you know, one thing that, that I've, that I've, played around with in the past is this hierarchy of movement and you know where it stands currently it begins with consistency of movement and that's essentially what we just talked about for I don't know 20-30 minutes we talked about consistency of movement we cannot be sedentary for long periods of time our ancestors were not sedentary for long periods of time our evolutionary biology does not understand why we would be sedentary and it probably thinks that we're laying down to die. Right. And that's why this stuff stops working. Past that, we move on to resistance training. And again, I'm just going to repeat myself over and over. Resistance training is essentially anything where there's some form of like inertia holding us back. And that could just be our body weight. It can turn into a dumbbell. It can turn into a barbell. It can turn into a weight vest and all these different things. But 
resistance training begins with just moving your own body weight. And that's something that so many people can get started with right off the bat. We talked about the squats. We can do plank holds. We can do plank holds with our arms up. So it's essentially the top of a push-up. We can start with our knees on the ground. We can start with our hips sagging. We're essentially just trying to load our upper body likely, like we would be doing by standing up through a squat. So many different ways to do this stuff. If that's too much, we can hold ourselves up against the wall. We can create time under tension by holding ourselves up against the wall. We can start with push-ups there. We can go to all these places. From there, we're moving on to mobility. Mobility is, you know, we talked about the, the, the story of the old lady with the yoga. Mobility is making sure that our sliding surfaces are restored. Our muscles are supposed to move around in association with each other not be stuck together. And that stuck together feeling is, you know, where we get the low back pain and where we get the shoulder pain and all this stuff. And so much of it comes from sedentary lifestyle. And it actually happens faster for people who have really intense exercise and then become completely sedentary. So we're talking about maybe the person that comes to your gym that doesn't really warm up that much and then bolts out the door. And the exaggerated version would be the muscle head at the globo gym, right? Would be this person lifts and lifts and lifts and lifts. And they're essentially turning themselves from this big open human being into this closed, like shoulders look like they might touch each other. Like these positions where we do not have these sliding services. And if we have that, that, um, you know, health issue, when we move into later life, we're going to have more issues with tearing muscles. We're going to have more issues with breaking bones. It's going to be an issue. So if we are going to do resistance training, we should follow it up with some form of mobility. I love the barrier to entry with yoga because it's guided because somebody else is showing you what to do. And because it takes us back a couple episodes to peace of mind. Yeah. It's something, it's something where that community is so entrenched in the mindfulness aspect that we can kill two birds with one stone. Moving on from mobility, it's really important that we can develop some type of anaerobic, anaerobic endurance. Um, according to evolutionary biologists, we were essentially able to at any point just go take off for like a 20 or 30 minute run our ancestors anyways, yeah. at any point, there's no stretching. There's no, you know, I don't, I'm guessing a caveman, you know, wasn't doing, you know, touching their toes and, you know, jumping up onto a pull-up bar, doing all these things. They just at a moment's notice kicked into that fight or flight system and took off. That's something that we are supposed to be able to do. Makes sense. They had to go chase down their dinner. Exactly. Yeah. Or run away from something else that thought it was dinner. Yep. Any of those things. Now, once again, the, the barrier to entry is so low, especially with aerobic endurance. Go for a walk. Walk faster the next time. Walk a little bit faster the time after that. With all of the technology we have nowadays, it's really easy to track. You know, we can either make it a time domain thing. How far can I walk in 20 minutes? You know, your phone will tell you how far you walked. Or I want to walk three miles. How long did it take me to do that? Yep. And we're talking about trying to improve your time by a few seconds each time you do it. Because if you did that on a daily basis, those seconds would add up very, very quickly. And eventually you'd get to a point where, you know, let's say you're on a walk and 
you're kind of on that same pace that you were on the day before and you can see your mailbox and you just start like power walking, like moving as quickly as you can. Eventually you are going to feel like you can do that for longer and longer periods of time. And then maybe we start picking those feet up a little bit more. Maybe that turns into a jog. Now, what's great about once we get started with all of this stuff is then we can move on to rowers and stationary bikes and hiking and all of these different pieces that make it a lot easier because we know all about living in Maine and you know, if there's a snowstorm, it's pretty hard. I mean, you could, I could pull it off just because I have all of my stuff from being like a snowboarder and a hiker and stuff, but it's really hard to go out for that same kind of walk. It'd be nice if you could go into your basement and hit that stationary bike or drive to a facility that has that sort of thing. I mean, if it's snowing, you could just grab your shovel and head out to the oh, driveway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's resistance training for that is sure. some serious resistance training. So again, that hierarchy of movement, consistency of movement, resistance training, which can be your body weight mobility, which I suggest for so many people go check out a local yoga studio or check out ramwad.com. Or if you're like super nerd, super into all of this stuff, Mobility Wad, you know, Kelly Starrett is literally changing the world with the stuff that he's doing. He's got his, um, he's got his non-for-profit, the Stand Up for Kids, where he's trying to get stand-up desks to essentially reverse childhood diabetes and obesity, um, doing all of this awesome stuff. So just someone that you would want to support. A lot of his stuff is paid, but he did. I know that he started with 365 days in a row of free videos and those are all still up, but I think he, he went even further. He has a ton of free content on YouTube. Oh yeah. So if you don't want to pay or you can't pay, you can go check that out. If you can pay his website has like paid tiers on it and little courses that you can take and a lot of really good stuff. Then we move on to that endurance piece. And that's when we start to say, this is no longer just I'm walking over to the water cooler or I'm sitting up and standing down at my desk a little bit more often, that kind of thing. We're, we're starting to, and when we're talking about endurance, we're starting to get into that like exercise based mentality right. where we're, you know, maybe keeping score a little bit. Um, and one thing that I think you guys probably know already based on the first episode that we did, but this is all so much easier with people. I mean, Ted and I both know Ted and I are both CrossFitters. We know what it was like to go in to the gym with the headphones in and walk around and feel like people are like looking at you and you know, you're judging people that you don't even know based on, you know, the tank top, whatever it is like that, that environment just does not get you fired up to move around and, you know, have a good time while you're, you know, becoming a little bit healthier. You don't need to join a a CrossFit gym. Obviously we would recommend, you know, a lot of different CrossFit gyms. Um, You need to find people that will do this with you. And there's a motivation aspect of helping someone else. um, Or there's the, you see somebody else, they're doing a really good job with all this stuff and you want to join and you want to use them, you know, as motivation. Like, Hey, you know, would it be cool if we met on Wednesdays and, you know, walked around the city or did whatever, like this stuff is really all of it, to be perfectly honest, is really challenging without someone to work with. And I mean, that was for me, one of the main reasons for wanting to start the Misfit Project was to create a community of people that wanted to know all this stuff and that could work together. Right. And eventually the goal would be for, you know, 
a bunch of people within your own inner circle or within your community or your city, wherever it is, are listening to this podcast as well. And you guys are trying to make these changes together. That to me is really, again, we talk about how the tribes piece is like the glue that holds this all together. That is really, really important for movement. It's just so easy to get stuck in these patterns all the way through all the topics that we've gone over. But movement's one of those things where it's like, you could eat better, not be that active. You could do your mindfulness, which is literally supposed to be not active. (laughs) Like you can go through and do a lot of these things. You can sit around the fire with your friends, not that active, right? We can do so many of these things and stay within that sedentary behavior. It's so important to use other people and to help other people by making this community based. Yeah. It's especially for me, I've found that getting to the gym is half the battle. So if you've got somebody there waiting for you to meet you and you've got that little extra motivation that means you need to go or to the park or wherever it is, just getting there. Once you're there, I mean, you're there. Why wouldn't you go for your walk or hit the elliptical or whatever it is? Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that's one of those things where you just, you have to get the idea in your head and then find a way to trick yourself into getting started. Yeah. You know, I'm obsessed with momentum. I'm obsessed with that quote. That was the very first day of the morning meditations. The chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. That's like my go-to with people. Like it's going to feel like you're doing all of this work and nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden one day you're going to be like, well, this is all really easy to incorporate into my life and I'm doing way better. Like give yourself, trick yourself into getting started, use whatever you got to do to get started and then realize how powerful momentum is. Momentum's everything. So this, this episode, um, you know, we're, we're calling it movement. The, the, you know, the sharing aspect and the, the, the hashtags we want to use, we're going with TMP move. Um, obviously just hashtag the misfit project always works. Um, I really mean it when I say that I look at those every single day. I look at the stories every day. I look at the hashtags every day. Um, the people that are following the misfit project, I go through all of those accounts just to look at what everyone's up to. Um, really, really important that you guys keep doing that. Um, for anybody that hasn't found us yet, that's someone, you know, shared this podcast. We're misfitproject.com. We are misfit project on Facebook, Facebook. and we are, at the misfit dot project on Instagram. Yes. And if you are the person that owns the misfit project on Instagram and you would like to turn your account over to us, that would be wonderful. But for now we are at the misfit dot project. Um, next week we are going to be going over the personalization aspect of, of how this all works. So we've gone through tribes, sleep, mindfulness, fuel movement. We've made all of these changes we're moving in the right direction. Now it's time to make sure that we're tailoring all this stuff to ourselves. So that's going to be next, next week on the misfit project. Um, anything else, Ted? No, hit us up at the blog, misfitproject.com. Leave some comments, share. See you guys next week till next week.